going to continue today to preach a series we started two weeks ago entitled He Came, looking at various passages of Scripture where Jesus talked about His reason for coming the first time. We looked at the fact that He came with a sword, which really meant that He was coming to clarify our allegiance that it had to be to Him and to Him alone. We looked last week at the fact that He came to save us. This week, going to look at another passage, chapter 1, verses 38 through 45. Mark chapter 1, verses 38 through 45. says this, He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also. This is Jesus speaking. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach also for this, or for that, is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed and he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. So for a little bit today, I want to preach from this thought, he came preaching, he came preaching. God bless you, you may be seated. Anybody enjoy what Brother Hillhouse had to say, and aren't you thankful that you had a moment in the service where you weren't listening to me? <laughs> Anybody thankful for that besides me? Uh, but we're so thankful to have the Hillhouse family with us. Christmas is a time of fun and family for most, not for everybody. There are some for whom Christmas is a difficult season, depending on what has happened in their life or the, the family that they were raised with or if something uh, tragic happened during that time period. But for many, it is a time of fun and family and gifts and laughter and and there are people who, we talked about it a little bit last week or maybe the week before, there's just not a whole lot of things that I want for Christmas, at least not a whole lot of things that um, I can afford or people in my life can afford. The older I get, the more expensive my gifts or my desires get, or it's just, you know, I have money to take care of the small things, it's the big things. And you see, I see people, if you've ever seen these, I've heard of people doing this. I know some people who have done it, and I've seen people who, uh, on commercials, and I can't fathom this, where they will give their spouse a vehicle for Christmas. How do you spend $70,000 and be like, surprise, we no longer have $70,000, here's your vehicle. Or, or surprise, for the next 60 months, we're going to pay $1,200 a month to pay this off. 
I mean, that's not, that's not a gift. I mean, I, I guess if you want to call it that. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with that kind of gift giving because if I spent that kind of money without my wife knowing about it, she would not be happy with that. It doesn't matter what kind of car it is. No car is worth surprising her with $70,000 in debt or spending $70,000 in cash if I had such a thing. But we, we often, though, as we make lists of things that we want, and we sometimes if we, we don't get what we want, we're disappointed. We, we're questioning whether the people that we've given the gift to or given the list to, whether they really care enough to buy us what we want or whether they have the ability to buy us what we want or the willingness to buy us what we want. There are a lot of people... Uh, they'll ask for your list, and then they won't buy you anything on your list. They will buy you what they think that you should have instead of what it is that you want. And we question their willingness to do that. And so sometimes instead of Christmas being happy because we've got a lot of gifts and we've got a number of presents, people are discouraged and they have unmet Christmas expectations. And if we're not careful, we come to God with those same kinds of ideas and that if God doesn't give us what we want when we want it and how we think that we need it we have disappointment and we question God's ability or God's willingness to work on our behalf or his willingness or ability to save us or to save our loved ones or to heal or whatever it is that we need. Christmas is a time of celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's fun to have gifts and it's fun to decorate and it's fun to have Christmas goodies and it's fun to, to get presents and it's fun to receive presents but ultimately it's really about celebrating the birth of Jesus understanding what the season is all about and understanding that there is no Christmas if there was not that babe in a manger Brother Hillhouse mentioned this already when we we talk about the story of Christmas we often talk about the Magi or the wise men and there's a lot of things about that story that we kind of extrapolate and we put out in various ways and I don't know if you are paying attention to this but it's annoying me. I love to preach without holding a mic because I can talk with my hands. Anybody like to talk with their hands? But there's something that takes place during the wintertime when we kick on the heat and that is static and the static is annoying me on this microphone making it pop so I'm going to go back to the handheld and then if I talk with my hands I'll just do whatever but we we talk about the story of Christmas and we talk about the magi and the wise man we put a lot of different things in there he mentioned that Jesus is no longer in a stable when they come it's not that first Christmas morning and but it's part of that Christmas story even the way that the Bible talks about that story and we talk about there being three wise men, but the Bible doesn't say how many wise men or magi there were. There are three gifts. Maybe one of them didn't bring a gift. Maybe one brought two gifts. We don't really know. So there's a lot of things about that, but what's important is some of the things that they said. And when they came to Herod and they're looking for Jesus, they asked this question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They understood that 
There was a king that was born, and he was a Jewish king, and they didn't understand maybe the full ramifications of what that meant and and that it was the Messiah, but they knew that there was a king born, the king of the Jews. If you jump to the end of the Gospels, you see on the cross of Jesus, king of the Jews. So at the beginning of the Gospels and at the end of the Gospels, we have this declaration that Jesus is king. And if there is a king, then there must be a kingdom. That there is no king without a kingdom. So you have to have a kingdom. And Jesus came and and he didn't declare himself to be king. He declared himself to be Messiah. He declared himself to be Lord. He declared himself to be God. But he spoke often of the kingdom. The kingdom is With you and it shall be in you. The kingdom has this idea if it's both now and not yet. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, then you must be born again. And he spoke often of the kingdom. What I want you to understand is this. A king and a kingdom implies power and strength and ability. That if you're king, that means you're ruling something and you have ability and you have power and there are people that are following you. And so Jesus spoke of this kingdom and we know that he is the king. So what is the kingdom? It is a, it, a, any kingdom, it is a place that is ruled by a king. And in this instance, the kingdom of God is every place that is ruled by the king, Jesus. We have unmet expectations and we question his ability or willingness. But if he's king, I want you to understand that he can do everything. He has power. He has ability. So what is the kingdom all about and why is this important in my life? And how do we participate in the kingdom? And how can we make sure that Jesus is our king? And what is in it for me? Why should I want to be involved in his kingdom? What is the benefit to that? Or can Jesus really save me? And if he saves me, can he really take care of me? These are questions that I will answer through this part of the message. But as you know, I rarely preach a topical sermon, so I'm going to take the body of my sermon from the text that I read to you. And I'm going to pull four truths about the kingdom from this text. And hopefully apply it to your life. But the, big, the big idea and the big picture is this. Jesus came preaching the truths of the kingdom. And because of that, we must proclaim his kingdom to all. So there are four truths about the kingdom that Jesus delineated here in this passage. The first is this. is that the kingdom is for everyone. Look at your neighbor and say, the kingdom is for you. If it's for everyone, that means it's for you. And so the kingdom is for you and the kingdom is for me. Jesus comes here in this passage and he has been bombarded by people that are looking for miracles. They're wanting miracles. They're wanting all Jesus to do all of these works. And he says, I don't have time to just do miracles for them. He says, I've got to go to the other towns. He said, for this is why I came to preach. I've come to preach to others. It's not just about the few who are here or or even the multitudes that are here in this place, but I've got to go somewhere else because I came to preach there also. That implies 
that Jesus came for everyone. He's not interested in just a few who can get to him in a certain location or a certain place, but he is going to everyone. He came preaching. He says, that is why I came. I came to proclaim the kingdom. I came to let them know that there is a better way. Preaching is not just the speaking of words. If I am standing in this room and there's no live stream and there's no people in this audience, I'm not preaching no matter what I say. I can practice a sermon and I don't do that. I know people who do it. They'll practice and preach in front of a mirror, and probably I should do that. It might make me a better preacher if it didn't make me sick. But if I'm standing in my living room, and I'm looking in a mirror, and I'm just going to town, it doesn't matter if I scream or I talk soft. That's not preaching. It's just words. But preaching requires an audience, and Jesus said, they don't They're not here to hear what I've got to say. They came just for miracles. He said, but there are people that need to hear the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, which is the good news. He said, I've got to have an audience that will listen to what I'm saying. He said, I've got to go to these other towns. I've already preached here, but other people need to hear the good news of the kingdom. It requires an audience and These people that were coming to Jesus, they had already heard the message of the kingdom. And now, he said, I've got to go somewhere else. I came to preach there also. This is why I came. Understand, the kingdom is for everybody. It is from the worst to the best. That no matter how bad of a sinner someone is, the kingdom is for them. No matter how good someone may be, the kingdom is for them. And in our culture, most of of our culture would put themselves in that good category. I've met very few people say, man, I'm just a horrible person. Very few people are going to go, man, people are just horrible. No, the majority of our culture would say that people are basically good. The Bible gives us, in the book of Acts, two chapters back to back where you have the worst and the best. Acts chapter 9, you have Paul. At the time, he is called Saul. He is zealous for the Jewish faith and he would say in Philippians, he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he said, man, I, am, I have reached the epitome. I, I am the best of the best when it comes to being a Jew and when it comes to being a religious zealot for God, the God of the Old Testament. And he is persecuting Christians. He is on the road to Damascus and he's going there to persecute Christians and stamp out these people who are following Jesus. And if that means putting them to death, so be it. We saw that in Acts chapter 7 where he was standing by holding the coats of those who would stone Stephen and put him to death. But on that road to Damascus, he sees a bright light and hears a voice that changes his life and changes his destiny. And he becomes a Jesus follower. And he would later say, I was the chief of sinners. I who was persecuting Christians. I who was killing Christians. He said, I had to come to Jesus. 
that the gospel and the kingdom is for the worst. And no matter how bad you've been, you've not been where Paul is. I don't think there's anybody in this room who's killed people for being Christians, who have persecuted people for the name of Jesus Christ. That means no matter how bad you feel you are, the kingdom is still for you. No matter what you've done, no matter how many awful things you've done, how many sins you've committed, the kingdom is still for you. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who is able to save the worst of sinners? It doesn't matter how bad. And if we put it in in terms like this, that if Hitler had repented and Hitler had turned to Jesus, Jesus would have forgiven him. And Jesus would have brought him into the kingdom. Responsible for the death of six million Jews. Even that wouldn't be too hard for Jesus. The kingdom is for everyone who comes to him. Acts chapter 10, we go from Paul, the chief of sinners, to Cornelius, the God-fearer, the man who is serving God to the best of his ability, the man who is praying every day, the man who is kind to people, the man who is giving alms to the poor, the man who has a good testimony and witness of all the people praying, and an angel comes and says, send to Joppa for one Simon. Peter, he will tell you what you need to do. It didn't matter how good Cornelius was, how how upstanding and how righteous he was, he still needed the gospel, and the gospel was for him. So God sent an angel to make sure that he knew where to find the truth of the kingdom so he too could be saved. The kingdom is for everybody, from the, from the least to the best, to the, from the worst to the greatest. The kingdom is for everybody. And Jesus said, I came preaching and I've got to go to other towns because this is why I came to preach there also. I'm not going to limit it to just a few, but I want everybody to hear the message of the kingdom. So if you haven't entered into the kingdom through the new birth today, it could be your day. It is for you. It is for those who... profess to believe in Jesus but haven't really experienced him, the kingdom is for them as well. The kingdom is for everybody. The second thing is this, the kingdom requires deliverance. It's not enough just to say I want to be in the kingdom but there is a deliverance aspect of the kingdom that is required. Verse 39, and he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee preaching and casting out demons. I got to tell you, I've never used that phrase. I was out preaching this weekend and casting out demons. I don't know too many people say, yeah, I was, I, I've been out on a on an evangelism trip, preaching and casting out demons. But demons, whether you see them or not, they are at work in our world. And and Jesus, and in the New Testament, you see the work of demons often. You see it in in the book of Acts. You see it in the Gospels where Satan is blatant and upfront in his activity. 
You do need to understand that we have an enemy that would like nothing better than for us to lose out with Jesus Christ. They would like nothing better for us not to spend an eternity with Jesus. Satan, unfortunately for us, is much more subtle here in North America. You go to various places in the world, you see demonic activity, you see demonic influence, you see people who are demon-possessed. You see that running rampant. Here, it's much more subtle, much more behind the scenes. And most people ignore the demonic realm just like they really ignore the supernatural of the kingdom of God. Just so happens I was listening to a podcast this morning. I I listen to podcasts all the time, and every Sunday morning I listen to various ones. And This wasn't intentional, it wasn't. I was listening to this podcast this morning. This lady... On this podcast talking about the demonic that she had seen in her teenage years. Friends of hers that playing with Ouija boards and various things. and Excited about it at first and then starting to realize something's going on here. This is not doing it by itself. So she confronted the demon that was manipulating the Ouija board and Ultimately, the demon left, but there, there was person after person on this podcast talking about how they were influenced or possessed at one point. Demons are real. And I, I'm not saying any of this to make you afraid, because if you know Jesus, you don't have to worry about it. You don't, you don't have to worry about whether demons are coming and whether you're demon-possessed. You can't be a follower of Jesus and have a demon. Which is why I worded this point the way I did. It requires deliverance. If there is demonic activity in your life, Jesus will cast it out when you come to him. That Jesus will push it aside. He will cast out the demons and he will push them away when you come to him. It requires deliverance to be part of the kingdom. You can't serve God and Satan at the same time. It doesn't work. And so if you're serving Jesus, then the demons have to flee. The demons have to go. But there are other ways in which we have need of deliverance and whether it's addictions and things that we can't break, whether it's sin that we keep going back to or it's habits that we can't get over, Jesus can deliver and Jesus wants to deliver you. The kingdom requires deliverance. If you have anything in your life today that you can't get rid of and you can't stop doing that you want to do, Like Paul would say in Romans, that which I would, I do not, and that which I would not do, that I do. Oh, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I I don't want to do these things, but I can't stop. Jesus brings deliverance, and Jesus can help you overcome that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Whatever is holding you back today. He can deliver you from that. Whatever you're holding on to that maybe you don't want to, you're trying to open your hand and let it go, and you can't seem to do that, he can help you to open your hand and to release that. He can bring deliverance today. The kingdom is for everyone, and the kingdom requires deliverance. And thirdly, the kingdom includes 
healing. This story, and I need to hurry. This is an interesting story. It just kind of flows in the context of what's going on. And now understand this, that when God inspires the writing of the Bible, that not everything is chronological. Not everything is just in a certain sequence. But God has things put together to create a certain message that He is wanting. All true, but put together in a certain way to convey a point. The next thing we see is this story of a leper who comes to Jesus and he falls on his knees and he begs him and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you really want to, you can make me clean. Leprosy is unique. Because I was raised in Louisiana, I say unique, and my daughter makes fun of me because of the way I say unique. I don't know how I'm supposed to say it anyway, but I say July. (laughs) Instead of July, it's July if you're from Louisiana. Leprosy, the healing or the cleansing of leprosy is unique in the Bible. You see leprosy in a number of places in the Bible, and on at least three occasions, God is the one who gives leprosy. He passes it out. Moses, you're arguing with me. I'm tired of that. Stick your hand in your, in your robe. Pull it out. It's leprous. Stick it back in. Pulls it out, and it's made whole. Miriam, stricken. With leprosy, and Moses beseeches God, she's healed her. Elisha's servant who wants money and payment for God healing or cleansing Naaman of leprosy. The only biblical example of someone being cleansed or healed from leprosy when God is not the one who gave them leprosy in the first place is this story of Naaman. I don't have time to go into it. It's more commonly known today as Hansen's disease. You can find it on the CDC website or others. And I'm not going to read the, how it eats your skin and you lose feeling and ultimately you lose fingers and toes. But in the Bible days, someone has leprosy. They're kicked out. They're, they're put away. They can't be around people. If they come anywhere near people, they have to call out unclean, unclean, and Here in our story, this unclean leper who has been outcast comes to Jesus. He says, if you're willing, you can do it. The faith that it takes, there's only one real example in the Old Testament of somebody being cleansed from leprosy. But he comes to Jesus and he says, if you're willing, you can do this. And Jesus responds to his faith. He's moved with compassion. But he doesn't just have this emotion. He doesn't have the emotion, oh man, that's, that's awesome that you think I can do that. I feel for your situation. But he acts on his compassion. He is moved with compassion and he heals him and cleanses him of leprosy.
What this tells me is this. Is when you're in the kingdom, healing is possible. That when you're in the kingdom, that healing comes as part of the deal. It's not, a, it's not to say that he's going to heal everything. At least not in this life, but he shows his power and he shows his ability to heal. And so if you need healing and you're part of the kingdom, you can call upon the king of the kingdom and say, Lord, I I need you to heal, and I need you to touch this situation. It's why we pray every Sunday for needs, and we put them on the screen, because we believe that he is a healer. We believe that we who are in the kingdom can call upon him and say, Lord, we want you and need you to be at work. Healing is included in the kingdom. Lastly, Kingdom is both show and tell. I'm going to wrap this up by 11.45. This is a unique part of the story as well that Jesus heals him, tells him after he heals him, don't say anything to anybody. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Jesus tells this man who has just received this amazing healing. This man who has been outcast, who hasn't been able to be around his family, who hasn't been able to be around his friends. Now, don't go tell anybody about this. And Jesus doesn't make it a suggestion. He commands him, do not tell anybody about this. Do go and show yourself to the priest. Do let them know that you've been cleansed as a, in accordance with the law of Moses, but don't tell anybody. Why, why does Jesus do this? Why does he tell him, hold it back, don't tell anybody? The reason is this, is because Jesus, although he's doing miracles and although he's doing signs, he came to preach. And he says, if you tell people, They're going to keep flocking to me and they're going to come for more miracles and they're going to come for more loaves and fishes as we talked about, but they're not going to be able to hear what I have to say. They're going to be so focused on the miraculous that they're going to miss the gospel. They're going to miss the good news of the kingdom. They're going to miss the message. He says, don't tell anybody. For you and I, And in the book of Acts, Jesus changed the strategy. The book of Acts, it's preach the gospel, then do miracles so they will believe the message. Because more important than miracles and more important than healing is salvation. More important than Knowing that God can do the miraculous is knowing that He can save you. More important than getting something in this life, knowing that He can help you to spend an eternity with Him, 
And if people are healed in this life and never come to Jesus, they enter eternity whole, but they're lost. So Jesus says, I don't want the miraculous to usurp the place of the gospel and the good news. I don't want it to usurp the place of the message. I know people who follow after miracles. They can tell you miracle story after miracle story. But aren't serving the one who does the miraculous. The leper disobeyed Jesus' command. and We look at that. In fact, a lot of times we look at people in the Bible when they fall short of doing what God tells them and go, man, I wouldn't do that. Jesus just healed him and he disobeyed. What an awful person. However, If I could flip it around and say this, we're really not much better than the leper. Jesus has saved us and he has commanded us to go and tell. He told when he was told not to. And we're silent when we're told to speak. It's easy to look at him and What's wrong with him? He's just too excited. He couldn't hold it back. We who should be excited because we have more than a physical healing, we can hold it back way too easy. But the gospel is not just telling, and the kingdom is not just telling, but it is both show and tell. It is both telling what he has done in our lives, and it is both showing what he has done in our lives. That if he does heal then we show that and say, look what he has done. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once lame, but now I walk. I was once lost, but now I'm saved. And we walk in a way and we talk in a way that it lets people know that God has changed us. He has rearranged and transformed our lives. The kingdom is both show and tell. It's not just about seeing the miraculous that he's done, but it's about showing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's about love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. It's about showing, putting on display what he has done in us. If someone were to observe your life or my life, would they know that you or I am a Christian? Would they see the fruit of the Spirit on display in my life? I've told you about times when He's healed me. And because I'm fairly transparent, I've told you about times when I was anything but a Christian. But my life should show people that He can change. Make us into something that we were not. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for most, meekness is considered weakness, so let me show you that I'm in charge, and let me show you that I'm the boss. We may not lie, but are we nice to people? We may not cheat on our taxes, but are we rude to people? We may go to church, but do we help the hurting? We may talk to Jesus, but do we talk to others about him? Jesus came preaching. And he has called us to do the same. That what he has done in us, we are to share with others so that they would know what you and I know. Would you stand together? This word preaching here, it's really a variation. It doesn't mean to stand in a pulpit like I'm doing today. Jesus didn't have a pulpit. Jesus didn't have a church building. He read scripture in a synagogue, but all of his sermons were outside. He came preaching the truths of the kingdom so that we would proclaim the kingdom to all. That word preaching, it just means proclamation. To proclaim what he has done. The kingdom is for everyone. It requires deliverance. It includes healing. And it is both show and tell. And unlike the leper who was healed that day by Jesus, he is encouraging us to tell everyone. He's encouraging us to show everyone, not just the priest, what he has done in our lives. Would you lift your voice right now to the Lord? Would you talk to him for just a moment? Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for what you have done in our lives. We thank you for the salvation that is available in you that you have given that salvation and brought it about in many of our lives that are here today. Lord, as we have surrendered our lives to you and we've chosen to follow you in repentance and the waters of baptism and in the infilling of the Spirit, evidence of speaking in a language we do not know. And Lord, we're grateful for that, but let our gratitude and our enthusiasm and excitement for that for what you have done. Let it compel us to go and preach to others also. That Jesus, what was true of you when you said, I came to preach there also, that we would do that as well, that we would see that as our mandate and we would see that, Lord, you didn't come just to save us, but you came to save everybody we know. You came to save everybody that we come in contact with, and we want you to work in us, Lord. Until, until we can't hold it back anymore, until we can't put it in and hold it down, but we have to tell it 
that when we're like Jeremiah the prophet, that it's like fire shut up in our bones and we have to get it out and we have to tell people about the gospel of Jesus. Father, work in us, I pray. Let the power of your Spirit change us today. Let your power of your Spirit impact us today. Let it transform us into what you want us to be. 